Hello and welcome to Under the Skin from Luminary. This week I spoke with Amishi Jha. Dr. Amishi Jha is a professor of psychology at the University of Miami and director of contemplative neuroscience for the Mindfulness Research and Practice Initiative. She studies mindfulness meditation and writes about the observable effects it has on brains and our attention. Her book, Peak Mind, is out now. Now that Under the Skin is on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review there. It helps us and we'll read them all out. In this bit of the conversation, what did we chat about, Django? I chose the bit where she does the breakdown because people love lists. Oh, yeah, it's a good breakdown. What are them areas of the mind? Yeah, the flashlight and the torch thing. The flashlight and the torch <laughs> is the same area, Jen. You've not understood it. Listen again. And like our listeners, you will understand consciousness better after listening to this clip. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this podcast and all of my weekly Under the Skin podcasts, all you have to do is subscribe to Luminary on Apple or download the Luminary app. Also, on the same, very same platform, you'll be able to listen to Above the Noise, a guided meditation every week. This being Christmas and all, I talk about like Christmas, winter, divinity, and I'm like some sort of pagan shaman directing that stuff. You should listen to this stuff. It's good gear, I tells thee. All right, then. Thanks very much for listening. I love you and you feel that love. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand. Under the Skin. Additionally, what do you see in the MRI scans that you conduct that suggest a positive benefit of mindful practices? Yeah, so this is the this is where we can really benefit from an entire field of research called cognitive neuroscience, cognitive and affective neuroscience, where for the last 30 years or so, we've been able to use tools like functional brain imaging bringing people into the scanner, having them do these same kind of simple tasks, and then evaluate the brain networks that are active. And we've learned a lot from those basic studies. And we've identified at least four networks in the brain that are very, very important for attention. And if you don't mind, I'd love to just tell you a little bit about those networks. And because then, then we can start understanding why it matters, why it matters that there's changes in the functioning of that, of these networks and the nature of them. So so essentially, we're talking about sort of three main systems of attention. And that happens to be the, the field that I, I study. So again, we look at it through all these different methodologies. We could look at people that have brain damage. We can look at their brains directly, look at their performance. But it really does characterize what we know in our ordinary lives is the way we pay attention. And in some sense, attention is this really, really profound um evolutionary inheritance that we have that allows us to privilege some information over other information. That's sort of the most fundamental way I could probably describe attention. Just curious, when I say when I say attention, like what does that conjure up for you? What do you usually think about? Attention means that within the field of my awareness, I can electively focus on and remain present with a particular object or set of facts. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> so I love that, you know, sort of just in your, in your subjective experience and your knowledge, you know what this is. And 
we might even shorthand it, just focus, the ability to hold that information present in our mind where everything else is sort of dimmed down, but that information is, is more salient, clearer, crisper. And certainly when, the, when content, when certain content is privileged, that's a very big role that attention has. That's something we formally call the, the orienting system of attention. And I like to use the metaphor of sort of a flashlight, so, or a torch, depending on the part of the world that you live in. So you're in a darkened room. And in some sense, the brain, if we think of our evolutionary ancestors, it was like it was dark. They were not able to, those brains, those, those early brains were not able to fully, nor are we today, able to fully process all the information that was available in the environment at all. It was just overwhelming for that brain. Same thing for the information generated internally. So attention ends up being a terrific evolutionarily selected for solution to subsample. Let's get a little piece of data here, a little piece of data here. Let's put it all together to kind of understand the working framework of our environment so we can survive. So that flashlight or torch metaphor can be really helpful because essentially what we're doing is directing, as you said, willfully, I think you use that term willfully or on purpose in some way, that computational resource, we get the information and then we can move on. It ends up that that torch or flashlight is not just now for the external environment, though it's obviously very important for that, it's for the internal environment as well. So as you mentioned, if you have an idea or a concept or a phrase or whatever it is in your mind in one moment, when you direct the flashlight of your mind to that, it becomes prominent and salient. But it ends up that that kind of orienting system, it's only one way that we privilege and prioritize information. Uh, which its job is really to select based on the content. Another really important system uh, that sometimes I refer to as, well, I don't refer to it this way. The field refers to it as the alerting system. I refer to it sort of as a metaphor of a floodlight or a fog light. And its job is to just be broad and receptive to what's occurring. The thing that it privileges is the present moment. What is happening right now in this moment? And we're not trying to be narrow and selective. We're trying to be kind of equating and not privileging anything in terms of what might occur in this moment, but being aware and receptive to its occurrence. So sort of a phenomenological way that, I, I mean, I know that you know what this experience is, but you're driving down the road or walking down the road and you see some kind of yellow flashing light. Maybe it's near a school or construction site. That phenomenology of in this moment, I don't know what I'm supposed to necessarily be looking for, but I better be here right now because I need to act potentially if something happens. A weird piece of construction equipment arrives or there's children walking I didn't know about or animals, whatever it is, but it's privileging in a very, very different way. And then the third system, so we've got orienting, alerting, um, you know, staying this vigilant quality of being in the here right now. And then the third way we privilege information is not so much about what it is, meaning content that may be externally present to us or even appear in our mind or the present moment, but it's based on our goals. So what is it that I want to be doing? What is important to me right now? What is my goal right now? And all of the rest of the brain can get reconfigured in the service of that goal. And this system, sometimes called the executive control system, its job is to ensure that our goals and our behavior are aligned. And then to course correct if there's a mismatch. So if right now my, my intention, my goal is to look at your face, to see if you're actually here understanding what my words scrutinize your facial expressions. 
that would be a much better thing for me to do is to actually look at you than to be on my phone or hear somebody in the other room and walk away or whatever it is. So we've got to maintain the goal. We've got to update the goal if something changes. If a fire alarm goes off in my building, I'm going to run out of here. My goal changed. Or to shift when circumstances change. This I sometimes refer to as the juggler. It's just a little metaphor. And all these metaphors are just handy ways. I actually probably came up with them over the course of explaining to my now, now older, but then young children, what the heck I study when I study the brain's attention system. So this one, the jugglers, this notion of all the balls are in the air. We've got to keep them fluidly aligned. And just like the executive of a company, this system's job isn't to do all the individual things that are required, but to coordinate and manage so that goals and behavior continue to stay aligned. So to go back to your actual question, that's three main systems, you know, flashlight, floodlight, juggler. There's a fourth. And the fourth is really, I would say in some ways, what happens when, when those people were, were doing that experiment and they didn't press to the three. Their mind went somewhere else. And sometimes we refer to this, this way of making the mind, meaning off-task thoughts. There is a task at hand, but you're not there. You're somewhere else. Usually you're internal. You're, you're preoccupied by some thought. You're mentally time-traveling away from this moment. And it's typically the central figure in this internal meandering is the self. Something about me, my, my uh, you know, whatever, my state, my preferences, whatever. We know this from, we know about this network. It's, it's often called, and you've probably encountered it too in, in uh, prior conversations around this, the default mode network. So the default mode, in some sense, it was named this because we do this like 50% of our waking moments by default. But we know it because what we did, it was a mystery. We'd put people in the scanner and we'd have them do various tasks that were like the flashlight task or a floodlight task or an executive control task. And we'd see distinct networks that show up and they are distinct. We can see the brain networks, multiple nodes that kind of uh, work together to allow us to point the flashlight willfully or to be aware of what's happening in the moment and notice immediate emergent novel stimuli or have a goal that we keep in mind. But this other network kept appearing when things were not externally demanding. But we just basically said, go ahead and rest. Just rest. You know, we're going to do five minutes of this intensive attention task. And now we want you to rest. And we expected that nothing really systematic would occur. But this system kept showing up. This default mode network kept showing up. And so initially, we just probed people. Like, what the heck are you doing when we tell you to rest? And it, they said all kinds of things. I'm thinking about how boring this is. I'm thinking about what I want to do once I get out of here. I'm thinking about how much money am I going to get paid for this? It was always me, me, me. Uh, to the point where sometimes we kind of joke around where we say, okay, the, the thing we tell people to do during rest, it's not restful at all. And that, name, that term rest, R-E-S-T, may just be rapid, R, ever-present, E, self-related, S, thinking, T. So the the... Your question, which is, I'm sorry, I'm going on for a little bit long, but I think it just want, I wanted to get a sense of like, let's put it all on the table of, of the brain networks that are even involved in any of these things that attention does. So then we can start talking about what something like mindfulness training actually strengthens. Well, it was an exceptional piece of information. Thank you for the clarity. Now, looking at these um, four functional networks, the what I'm going to 
cool i'm going to use your metaphors for simplicity like the flashlight the application of attention the fog light kind of a broader more general attention the executive the ability to juggle and make decisions and this sort of defaulted self-condition when you're observing synaptic activity just may i ask what is it that is being read is it electrical activity enjoying this conversation Join me over at Luminary on Apple Podcasts for the rest of our discussion and for all the latest episodes of Under the Skin.